Thank you. All right, Redemption Kids, you guys can slide out to go with our volunteers. And for the rest of you, if you would uh, grab your Bibles or turn your Bible on, we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Hey, you know, I'm going to ask somebody to do me a favor. For some reason, my mouth is really dry right now. If somebody could slide me a cup of water, that would be amazing. Thank you, guys. Jeremiah chapter 17. And uh, here, you know, as we're studying the Old Testament this summer, um, for some of these books, they may not be as familiar with you. So, hey, it's no shame if you're like, hey, where's Jeremiah? Hey, turn to the table of contents in the very front, and, uh, and, and you can find it. So don't ever hesitate to do that. Um, and let's go to Jeremiah 17. As I prayed through what text, thank you, Larissa. As I prayed through what text that I really sensed the Lord wanted me to share with you guys, um, here's what he put on my heart. He impressed with me that, that I was to share with you guys one of the most foundational frameworks as I think about how do I change and grow to become like Christ and help others change and grow to become like Christ. For the guys that, that I've discipled and spent a lot of one-on-one time with, you're probably going to be like, okay, John, I, like, I've heard this numerous times. But what hit me is that I don't think I've taught on this in, on either a Sunday morning or a public setting. And so something so integral to how I think about my own sanctification and growth in Christ, I wanted to share that with you guys. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to start in Jeremiah 17, because I believe this passage is one of the best passages that gives us an overview of this framework that I'm going to share with you. But we're also going to look at a couple of other passages as well. So hang in there with me as we work through the text. But second, I just want to be up front with, that, with this. This isn't original with me. So what I'm going to be sharing with you today, I am, I'm summarizing and building upon the work that Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp have done in a book called How People Change. And so um, I, I would even encourage, man, after today, like, go get the book. This may be something this summer. You're like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to go grab somebody, and we're going to do some reading together and meet up during the week and talk about it. So Jeremiah 17, let's jump in here. A little bit of background. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament during the times and leading up to Jerusalem's fall to the Babylonians. And what we see here in the first few verses of Jeremiah 17 summarize one of, the, one of his common themes that we see throughout the book. So let's begin reading here in verse 1. The Word of God says this, The sin of Judah... Let me just pause here. Judah, the southern kingdom of, of Israel. So as we read through the Old Testament, you're going to see Israel, but then eventually Israel, and you're going to see Israel and Judah in these terms. And for the most part, Judah is being used to refer to the southern kingdom and Israel to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was exiled much earlier than Judah, the southern kingdom. So the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns 
of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their ashram beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains, in the open country. Your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you, and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Now here's what we see here. First of all, we see that idolatry had spread rampant in Judah. Do you, you hear this language here? He describes it as such that this is what described, it was so, it was so a part of their culture and identity, this was written on their hearts. And he's rebuking them for their sin. You, you see their children, it says they remember the altars basically every, everywhere. There was no place where this idolatry wasn't seen. It says every green tree, on the high hills, on the mountains, in the open country. And so this was one of the common, as you read through Jeremiah, as you read through the prophets, what, what they're doing is they're telling Israel, you have sinned, you have forsaken the Lord, you've run into idolatry, and then there's a call to repent. Because when God says, hey, if you turn from me, we go back to the law, there, there's either blessing for obedience or there's curse for disobedience. And so then Jeremiah is pretty clear with him. He says, look, as a result of your idolatry, judgment is evident. And we see that here in verse four. We see that all the wealth and treasures God's gonna give to a, another nation that's gonna come and destroy them. Verse four, you shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave you and I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. Jeremiah is saying, here's what's about to happen. You're about to get destroyed and you're gonna be exiled. And, and in fact, as you read through the Old Testament, God had already said all the way back in Deuteronomy that this was gonna happen. Now, we're gonna come back to that later because there's a consistent message and theme for us, for us, but for right now, I want to keep moving. Then what happens, where I want to really spend a good chunk of our time in verses 5 through 10, is that Jeremiah shares some proverbial sayings, in and in particular, he highlights the way to human flourishing and the need to rely on God in all of life's circumstances. So continuing in verse 5, he writes, Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But on the other hand, verse 7, blessed is the man who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, Search the heart 
and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So let me give you a few observations before I unpack the framework with you. First of all, pretty evident here, we see these two ways of living. The, the way that's, the living that's accursed and the one that's the way that leads to blessing. So first of all, is this one that's cursed is the man or the person who trusts in himself, who trusts in man, who makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And he compares this man, it says here, he is like a shrub in the desert. This is the first tree that I'm going to highlight in a second. This shrub in the desert, and basically he's describing here this, this shrub that has no access to rain or water. He uses this language, he shall dwell in parched places. Basically, it is bone dry, therefore assuring that its growth will be stunted and starved. Sadly, this is what describes the majority of Israel in the Old Testament. But then the second way is the person who trusts in the Lord. Notice in verse 8, he compares this person. This person is like a tree planted by water. This is a tree that has abundant access to water. And therefore, what is the result of this tree says this, this tree, this person does not fear when heat comes. Could you imagine the shrub in the desert that has no access to water and the heat is just pounding? On the contrary, the same heat that might would be experienced in the desert is going to come upon this tree, but there is no fear. There is no worry. Why? Because this tree has access to water, and therefore nourishment, growth, and fruitfulness are assured. Notice this. I love the statement. It does not cease to bear fruit. Anybody want this life? I mean, if we're looking at, in all times in the Old Testament, we're, we're contrasted, not with like multiple ways to live, but with, we're, this is the way that's trusting in the Lord, and this is the way that turns away from the Lord. Now, here's one other observation that I want us to highlight. It's the centrality of the heart. We see this in verse 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh a strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. And then it's made explicit here in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. One commentator asked, if there is such blessing in trusting God, then why do people so generally depend on themselves? I mean, if we were to read these, we see it's evident, like, yeah, I want the, path, I want the one of blessing. I want to be that tree. I want to be the tree that's near the streams of water. Like, it, that's what I want. But he's like, why is it then that we see so many that are not going that way, they're going the other way? And the answer is verse 9. The answer is the depravity of the human heart. 
The heart is the source of all human difficulty. And Jesus reinforces this for us in the Gospels. When we go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, I've got it on the screen here. Jesus says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When the things that come out of our mouth, Jesus says, here's what you've got to do. You've got to look inward and look deeper. Again, continuing on in Matthew 15, he returns to this and he says this. They were like, there was a disagreement on like cleanliness and washing hands and, and eating meat. And he says this, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? There you go. Good biology lesson today. But... What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. In other words, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you, being something unclean. It's what's unclean, the heart, that's producing what's coming out of us. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. You see, one of the main messages of the Old Testament is that we not only need a Savior to pay the penalty for our sin, we need a brand new heart. Because the reason I sin is because I'm a sinner. My heart is desperately sick. And so as I preach this to you guys today, I stand here guilty as charged. It's not like you've got John who's like, this was at one point me. Now, for true, real life change to happen, there's got to be heart transformation. And I've got good news for us today, okay? I'm not going to leave us there. Now, with, with that framework, let me give you guys the three tree model for biblical change and it's four words. I want you to say them with me. Heat, thorns, cross, fruit. Heat, thorns, cross, fruit. Say it again. Heat, thorns, cross, fruit. Hey, it's really simple, okay? If you'll get these four words, it's going to give you a framework, no matter where you are, for you to process and discern what's going on in your life. And hey, you may even be grabbing coffee or a meal with somebody and you're using this as a framework to help them discern and think through what's going on in their life. So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to walk through each of these for us and we're going to unpack them. You may be asking, okay, like this word heat, what's that about? So heat or the word do is just simply what is your situation? This represents a person's current situation in life with all of its difficulties, temptations, and blessings, okay? I'll just give you a few examples to help try to think about this. The re, the, like, we, we think of heat oftentimes in a negative context, but hey, in New England, heat is a, is a very positive thing, okay? But that's why we include the dew, because usually you think of the dew as like the, the morning dew that's refreshing. Um, but 
your situation, my, what is the heat in my life? I'm married to Lee and I have five kids. That's just my situation, okay? That daily brings with it blessing and difficulties and opportunities for temptation. I'm also a pastor of Redemption Hill Church. Right now, my current heat is, hey, our lead pastor's on sabbatical. That, you know, that's just my situation. That doesn't force me to act any kind of way. That's just the situation that I find myself in. And, and I'm stuck with Pastor Reddy, and no, I'm just kidding. They're the do in my life. Brother Steve and Pastor Reddy, um, that, that's my situation. We all have heat. Now, here's the deal. Heat can lead to significant growth at the heart level, or it can lead to temptation and sin. In other words, heat can produce either fruit or thorns. In our Jeremiah 17 passage, both of these trees have heat. You look at the second person who trusts in the Lord, he's not producing all this fruit because he's got an easy life. Do you see what the text says? The text doesn't mean that if you trust in the Lord, it's going to be easy. It just simply means that you don't have to be fearful or worry when the heat comes. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to go to our next passage. I want you to turn with me in the New Testament to James. Again, if you need help, you can go to the table content in the front. James chapter 1. This is near the end of the New Testament, after the book of Hebrews. I'll give you a second to turn there. James chapter 1. I'm going to give you just a couple examples here, biblically, to think about. This framework, beginning in verse 2, James 1, verse 2. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What's the heat? Trials of various kinds. What is he calling them to produce? Joy. Is that a fruit response or a thorny response? It's a fruit. So you'll see, hey, you've got trials, and he's calling them, hey, to produce the fruit of joy no matter what trial you may face. And he gives the reason, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's the cool point about this. When we think about our situation in life, let me give you three words about God here. God is good, sovereign, and wise. Here's what we're often tempted. In the midst of my circumstance, God, are you good? God, where are you? Are you sovereign over this? Are you in control? And then third, are you wise? Like, this doesn't seem like wise to me. But over all of this is the foundation for our situation. God is good, sovereign, and wise, which means that in the trials that I face, I can believe that and I can produce the fruit of joy so that the heat in my life does not have to result in authority response. But let me show you the flip side. Go down to verse 12. In verse 12, James writes, Blessed is the man who stands 
remain steadfast under, again, under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here's the formula. Desire plus circumstance equals temptation. My circumstance is not God tempting me. Temptation results is because the inward heart, my desires that are oftentimes corrupt and deceitful, take that circumstance and it provides itself an opportunity for temptation. Now here's how this works. Tim Challey's reflecting on this passage He writes this. Listen closely with me. He says, Your sinful desires give you a hunger, an appetite for something forbidden, something you think you need, something you think you can't be satisfied without. You guys hear that? Your desires are saying, If I don't have this, no, it starts with, I want this, I need this, I've got to have this, and if I don't, I'm not going to be satisfied. That's how desires work. He continues, then circumstance comes along, and it acts like bait. Circumstance, Eric, we're going fishing today? I think Eric's going fishing. We were talking about this earlier. You're going to take, you're going fish. So here's the deal. You're going fishing, you hook, you got that hook. And you put bait on it. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the circumstance acts like bait, like a lure. That circumstance dangles the opportunity before you and you're tempted to take a bite. But what you never seem to see is that buried in the bait is a sharp, nasty hook. First, it lures you. And then if you succumb to the temptation, it hooks you and it drags you away. My heat doesn't tempt me. It's the circumstance combined with my desire that leads to temptation. So here's what we see in James. Sin is crafty. It's deceitful. It will lie to you just like that fishing analogy. It's going to dangle it as if it's the real thing, but then you bite and you realize it's not the real thing and it's not going to satisfy you. It's crafty, it's deceitful, it's alluring, and then it betrays. Sin promises blessing, but in the end, it delivers curse. Now, now as we think about heat, I'm spending some time here because this is important. We oftentimes blame the heat for our thorny responses. We do it and we don't even realize it. Let me give you a few examples here. One that's constant in my home. My kids are driving me crazy. No. Now, Lee and I joke about this. Sometimes it's true. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) My kids are the heat in my life. 
The reason I may feel like I'm being driven crazy is how now that circumstance combined with my desires is leading to temptation. I want to lay down and take a nap, but all I keep hearing is daddy, 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 daddy. And so that combined with my desires, and then I lash out to get what I want. If I don't get this nap, I've got to get this nap. And if I don't have this nap, I'm not going to be satisfied. And so now that's my kingdom. And you're getting in the way of my kingdom. And when you mess with my kingdom, there's war. And so then I lash out with the thorny response of my words so that I can win my war. Can anybody relate? Okay. Good to know we're connecting here today. (laughs) Let me give you another example. I'll just go to... Use an example of marriage. We could talk about roommates. I'll just use this one. This is a book I, when those I do premarital counseling with, When Sinners Say I Do. Let me encourage you to, if you're married, grab this, it's good. He, He says this, oftentimes we blame our spouses for our thorny responses. Or sometimes we just blame the marriage itself. He says this, Imagine this conversation with, you know, with another friend. Hey, man, I'm, I'm fine when I'm at work. It's not until I get home that the real battle begins. How easy is it to use the phrase, hey, you know what? Me and my spouse, we're having marriage problems. As if the marriage created the problems. You hear that? What is marriage? It's the heat. The marriage isn't the problem. The marriage is the heat. And so he continues, hey, bro, you know, this conversation, hey, bro, can you pray for me? My marriage is having some problems. Or stranger will say, hey, it's having some issues. Oh, me? No, I'm fine. Just got to deal with these marriage problems. You, You know what I mean? And then he says this, the cause of our marriage battles, friends, is neither our marriage nor our spouse. It's the sin in our hearts entirely, totally, exclusively, without exception. My marriage is just the heat by which my heart creates an opportunity for temptation. Where have you blamed the heat in your life instead of looking inward at the sin inside yourself? That's what Jeremiah 17 is telling us, is that what flows out of my life flows from my heart. Heat, thorns, cross, fruit. Let's go to the second, thorns. This is the first tree. We call it the three-tree model because you have the thorny tree, you have the cross, and then you have the fruit tree. Those are the three trees. And the question here is what sin entangles you. Thorns here, the thorn bush or the shrub of the desert represents a person's ungodly responses to difficulties, temptations, and blessings You and I are never passive. We always respond to the heater due in our lives. Think about some in your life this week. What were some of your thorny responses? You're driving through the rotary and somebody cuts you off and just out comes. Yeah, I won't repeat that. Someone speaks unkindly to you. And then you just decide, I'm just going to let bitterness grow in my heart. What about, let me give a, give a positive example. Just, man, for some reason, some unexpected money just shows up in the mail. 
That's again, heat, right? Now you can have a fruitful or thorny response to that. A fruitful response would be, hey God, I'm a steward. Just because the money showed up here doesn't mean that you're intending me to go spend it on myself. There's multiple things I could do with money. I can give, save, or spend, right? So it may be a fruitful response would be, hey God, man, I trust you as the giver of all good things. What do you want me to do with this? But a thorny response might be, this is mine. What about this? We don't get the raise that we thought we deserved. So we just resolve to work half-heartedly. The heat is, I didn't get the raise I wanted. So how, how am I going to choose to respond at work? What about this? My kids don't obey right away with a happy heart. So I lash out and use my words to demand and get the obedience that I deserve. You see, what we see in Scripture is that my responses are not forced on me by the pressures of the situation. What I do comes from within inside me. The things that happen to me will influence my responses, but never determine them. So this is why like, I could take the same circumstance and run five different people through it and probably get five different responses. Now, let's go to another text here in James. I want you to turn with me to chapter 4. James chapter 4, that same book we were in a few moments earlier. James 4, I'm just going to look at verses 1 and 2. James writes, I'm going to wait a second, I hear a few of you still turning, I love that, I love it. James 4 verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What are the thorny responses here? What's that? Quarrels and fights, that's the thorny response. And he's asking, why are these thorny responses happening in the church? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You see what he asked here? Why are they quarreling and fighting? It's within you. Look within. And it, he, he points to the level of desire. You desire, you want. In other words, he says, there's something you want that you can't have or you can't get. And when you can't get that, it's war. And you'll do whatever it takes to get that. Now, use, to use kingdom language, Jesus, you know, I use kingdom language because I love, like, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Or Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Here's how this resonates with me, because I see it often. It's John's kingdom versus God's kingdom. And John's kingdom looks like this. I want this, I need this, and if I don't have this, I won't be satisfied. That's my kingdom. And when I see the thorny responses come out, oftentimes that's revealing where my kingdom needs to die and God's kingdom needs to reign. But the problem is, is I'm seeking after my kingdom and I'm not coming to the cross and laying down my life and saying, hey God, would you come have your way? Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so when we think about thorns here, I want to go back to the image. Let's look at the image up here. 
You see the heat and dew at the top. We've got our thorns over here. But notice at the bottom of the thorn tree, what is there? There's the heart. Here's the point. Your thorny responses flow from the heart. And so here are two questions that I want to give you to diagnose what's going in the heart. They're right here. What do you want and what do you believe? And we see that here in James. You want and you can't have and so you murder. They want something and they believe if they don't get that, like they've got to have that to be happy and satisfied. And so then, because they wanted it and they believed they had to have it, there's the thorny response. So you can do this for every single one of your thorny responses. When, when you're just like, and this is what we need to do. When I'm sitting down and just discipling guys, I'm just highlighting, hey, here's the heat in your life. This is the thorny response. And I'm asking, hey, we got to go deeper. Because Jesus and God isn't just after about like taping apples to our tree. He's wanting to do a work in our hearts so that there's an unceasing fruit bearing in our life. So if we don't get to the level of the heart, we're not going to consistently see the fruit that's flowing out of us. So what do we want and what do we believe? All ungodly behavior grows out of a heart that's been captured by something other than Jesus. So when we say, I want something and I believe something, if it's Jesus, it's not going to be a thorny response. It's going to be the fruit of the Spirit. But the thorny responses are the things we believe and want that are not captured and treasuring Christ. And so as a result, the bad fruit happens. I react because I wanted and believed something deep down in my heart. So developing fruit trees always starts with recognizing and removing the sinful thorns in our lives. Look, if you want to grow increasingly in Christ, you can't continue to blame the heat in your life. You've got to take the finger and look at yourself and go into the heart. Third, the good news, the cross. Christ brings new identity and new potential. Jesus is the source of, of living water. Through Christ, he brings comfort, cleansing, and the power to change in the midst of life's challenges. So going back to 17.9 of Jeremiah, where it says the heart is desperately sick and wicked. One of the main observations of the Old Testament we've already talked about is that I need a new heart. I need heart transformation. And the good news is that God tells Jeremiah, there's a day coming when that's going to happen. So in Jeremiah 31, we hear the promise of the new covenant. This is what I've got on the screen here. This is what God says to Jeremiah. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is all the way in Jeremiah. He's saying the new covenant's coming, and the new covenant is going to be a complete renewal and transformation of the heart. Another prophet, Ezekiel, confirms this and says this in Ezekiel 36, 24 and 27. 
I've got on the screen here again. I will take you from the nations. He's saying, after the exile, you're about to get kicked out of the land. I'm going to gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the background of John chapter 3, when he says this, you must be born again. And he says, you must be born again by water and spirit. He's talking about the new covenant. What Jesus comes and he sprinkles water and he puts his spirit in us and he breathes and gives us new life. So today, if you have placed faith in Jesus, you are no, your heart is no longer there's still wickedness and sin there, but you've been given a new heart that God is increasingly transforming and renewing to be like the heart of Christ. Apart from Jesus, I was stuck at Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is desperately sick and uncurable. But God has done a work in the cross. And this is why, let me go to my image there, Grace. Can you pull it up there for me? This is why you see the streams of grace that flow from the cross. If we have any chance of producing the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we have to be continually at the cross. This is the person of Jeremiah 17 that says, those who trust in the Lord are like stream, a, a, a plant that is planted by streams of water. Like this isn't like a one-time decision that I, this is a daily, a minute by minute, Lord, I need you. I'm clinging to you. It is at the cross where all grace is for me to produce the fruit of of the Spirit. So how do you need to apply what God is and what he says and does in Christ? Maybe you're here today and you're just coming to the realization, the reason I got a ton of thorns in my life is because I've never been given a new heart and trusted in Jesus. Now here's the deal. When you trust and believe in Jesus and he gives you a new heart, does he automatically like just cleanse us from like all of our, he doesn't sanctify us right away, right? Like we've been forgiven, this is the process of the Christian life. We now have the power, as we grow in Christ, to be renewed, to increasingly produce the fruit of the Spirit. Heat, thorns, cross. Let me cover this last one, fruit, and I'll wrap up. Fruit, the, the third tree. The result of real heart change. This tree represents the person who trusts in the Lord and learns to respond in a godly manner to all life circumstances. Last passage I want us to look at is Ephesians 4. So this is in the New Testament. Turn back with me just a few books to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse Paul writes, now this I say in testifying the Lord, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In other words, that would be a thorny response. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to what? Their hardness of heart. They become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Jesus. That is not the way you learn Christ. He says this, assuming you've heard about him and were taught him as the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To use our analogy, it's to put off the thorny responses. That is not you anymore. You have a new identity. You are alive in Jesus. That old former manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. But as you put off, and he says this, rather you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, as the word of God and the spirit of God renews my mind and my heart so that I don't, I'm not led away by deceitful desires, but those deceitful desires combat it with the truth of who God is. We can do this, verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That would be to produce fruit. Do you see how the cross is in the middle of this? Put off the thorny in light of what Jesus did, renew the spirit in your minds, believe the gospel, and in light of that, put on the new self. And then he goes on in the rest of the chapter, and he gives us, here are the thorny things to put off, and here's the fruit to put on. So the first one, verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, stop lying. That's a thorny response. Rather, speak the truth with your neighbor. Fruitful response. Look at the next one. I'm going to I'm not going to read all these. I'm going verse 28. Look at this one. Let the thief no longer steal. Hey, don't steal anymore. That's a thorny response. Rather let him labor, go actually go do some honest work with your hands so that you may do what? That you can give. Don't steal that thorny response. Look at what God has done for you in Christ. Go do some honest work and go give. That's a fruitful response. Let me show you another one. Look at, um, look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Thorny responses. Be kind to one another. Fruitful response. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, he goes to the cross. Look at what the gospel does in shaping how you are to think about what he's done, and now go forgive. Put off the thorny response of bitterness and unforgetfulness. Come to the cross and see what he's done and now go walk in new life and produce the fruit of the Spirit. And then I'll end with chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, which sums up. He says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's look at our, our image one more time. At the bottom of the fruit tree, again, is our heart. And the two questions here are the two challenges. They're not questions. The first one is this. Seek God in repentance and seek God in faith. So if at the, at the bottom of my heart that produces the thorny response is what I want and believe, then at the bottom of my heart that produces a fruitful spot, fruitful 
response is going to also be what I believe. And so I'm going to repent of seeking my kingdom, and I'm going to believe that seeking the kingdom of God is what's best. We're going to see the commands of God flow from the heart of God and a heart of love. And when I believe the gospel, when I believe that God is good, sovereign, and wise, when I believe that the commands of God flow from a loving God who's guiding me to have his very fullness forever, then I respond with love. And you'll see at the top here, what, what do I respond with? Good fruit? I respond with love. The one word, that word to summarize the fruit of a Christian and all the other fruits, Jesus will say this, hey, summarize the commandments for me. And they say this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. It is a lifestyle of love. It is made possible because we daily come to the streams of God's grace that flow from the cross. We repent of the thorny responses and we plead that God would renew our minds and our hearts, that we would believe. Here's the cool thing. The way that you're saved and receive a new heart is through faith. The way that you kill sin and put off the thorny responses and produce the fruit of the Spirit is faith. It is believing the Word of God and going and doing. Here's my prayer for us as a church. My prayer is the main point of my sermon and it's this, that we would plant ourselves near the streams of the cross to produce lives of unceasing fruit. And this is basically a summary of what we were challenged in Jeremiah 17. So I'm going to wrap up and just praying that verse from Jeremiah 17 over us. And as I pray, I invite the band to come lead us in worship through music. Father, we are in desperate need of your grace today. God, we don't want to be the person that trusts in self and receives the curse. God, we want to believe, we want to be what it says here in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. God, help us to believe you. Help us to trust in you. Help us to seek you. We want to be the tree. God, I pray you would make the individual seating here a tree. We would plant ourselves by water, the water of the grace that flows from your cross. God, when the heat comes this week, and we know it's coming, in fact, it's probably going to be coming for some of us in the next few minutes. There may even be heat in the lobby that we face. There may be dew in the lobby. It may be this afternoon. It may be tomorrow morning when we wake up. God, we pray when the heat comes, we don't want to fear. We don't want to be anxious. We want to be the people that produce unceasing fruit. So God, would you continue to come? And God, we thank you for the work you've given us new hearts. God, we are in continual need for you to renew our minds and our hearts so that we have the heart of Christ. So God, help us to see Help us to look inward and see where we've fallen short. Help us to look to the cross and believe our new identity in Christ. And God, help us to respond this week in love, increasingly, never ceasing, and bearing good fruit. We ask in Christ's name, amen.